Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back to the Muslim Matters Podcast, where we discuss everything under the sun that affects Muslims, such as faith, local and global politics, social media, sex education, civil rights, and family matters, all coming from a traditional Orthodox perspective. Subscribe to our podcast and follow us online on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram on our handle, Muslim Matters. And check out our site daily at muslimmatters.org. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And welcome to the Muslim Matters Podcast. I am your host, Zainab bint Yunus. Today's guest is Sheikh Abdullah Ayaz Mulani. Sheikh Abdullah Ayaz is Dean at Lubab Academy, Head Teacher at Khair al-Ummah Islamic School, Teacher at Mathaba Institute, and the author of The Poetic Words of Sayyidina Ali radiallahu an Ramadan of the Prophet sallallahu and Applying Sarf. He is currently pursuing a Bachelor's of Arts in Psychology at Queen's University. Now, Ramadan's on the horizon, and many of us are feeling that excitement and anticipation of the blessed month, but others amongst us are really struggling with a lot of guilt and the feeling of being just so overwhelmed by our sins. And this is a recurring issue, you know, like every year you've got like that internal conflict. You're like, yeah, Ramadan's coming up, but then you feel bad about it too, in the sense of not bad about Ramadan, but you feel bad about yourself as a Muslim. Like, oh, but you know what? I've sinned so much already, and I'm just like really kind of stuck in this. And so for the less saintly amongst us, how can we deal with the struggle? Well, first of all, assalamu Honestly, I don't believe in saintly and non-saintly. I don't think any of us are saints. And I've had so many conversations with scholars. And this is a very common theme in scholarly conversations where no one feels worthy. And, and I would argue that no one should feel worthy. Uh, of being a saint. But the reality is that sin is unfortunately a part of life. And I think it's an important time for us, especially as Ramadan's coming, to discuss if sin is going to be a part of our life, what is the mindset and what is the approach we should have to it? The fact that it's, it's a part of life is kind of mentioned in the hadith of the Prophet وسلم, where he tells us that all the children of Adam السلام, they make mistakes but the best of those that make, make mistakes are those that make tawbah so I feel like sometimes we tend to be really unrealistic with ourselves but since we got to deal with it like we deal with diabetes it's like you know there is a reality about yourself and you can't escape it. You have to be very realistic with yourself and really real with yourself. And you have to make lifestyle changes in navigating the world while understanding your weaknesses. And that's kind of the approach that I think we should discuss today. Yeah, that's a very, I want to say a different approach for lay people in particular, I think. Uh, as you said, you know, when it comes to scholarly discussions, there's definitely this awareness we are all sinners and nobody is to elevate themselves or think of themselves as saintly, because as soon as you do that, you know there's a problem already, like a huge spiritual issue right there. But in terms of a lot of, again, like as lay Muslims are taught, there's, of course, that heavy emphasis against sinning and sinning is evil, this, that, and the other. But there tends to be almost like a skewed perspective, right? Because a lot of people just feel like, oh, I'm sinning all the time now because every little thing I do is a sin or I'm always doing this or I'm always doing that. And there's just 
there's no hope for me or oh, it's it's so hard it's so hard to do toba it's so hard to be how do i know if i'm sincere if i make toba then i start sinning again and i guess that goes back to the hadith that you quoted is and the best of the sinners are those who repent but how do we reconcile this how do we really understand what that even means like how can you be a good sinner i think the problem is we try to when we look at this, the reason why we have an existential crisis is because we look at sins as like we use it to label ourselves as either good people or bad people. And obviously a person who has a lot of sins is a bad person. But I would make an argument that we need to detach ourselves from our sins. And we need to kind of lay in some groundwork in today's podcast and kind of really making that mindset for ourselves. Because sometimes people, when we sin, we can feel so hopeless to the point where it feels to, to us that there is no hope for me. That people feel like there's uh, something over their heart, that there's no way that they can connect with God, that they're not worthy. But that's not the God Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that we have been explained about by the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The God that we've been taught about is the one that when we walk towards him, he runs towards us. When we come towards him by a hand span, he comes towards us an arm span. So there's no intrinsic part of us that stops us. So, so it's kind of like, I want us to take, like, for example, I'm an Arabic teacher, right? Right. And I have this conversation all the time with students where students really struggle with mistakes yeah <laughs> but you can't graduate people? yeah well you can't graduate without making mistakes and when i when i when we get students to come to us one of the three things we ask them to commit to is that they are going to be vulnerable when it comes to mistakes so it's kind of like you got to learn how to roll with the punches and you got to have a grit mentality you need to have a a hard work mentality versus a, oh, I'm a good person and therefore I'm going to succeed and, or I'm a bad person and Allah doesn't want me near him. Like when we look at it from, from the term of psychology, there's this understanding of a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset. And I'm sure you might've heard of this is that when your kid comes to you and he or she has gotten an A plus, they say, don't tell your child Wow, you got an A plus. You must be really smart. They say instead, what, what should you say instead? Yes, the whole thing about teacher kids that it's not the inherent smartness, it's the hard work. It is the commitment that they put into it. And it's the fact that they just kept trying even when they've stumbled a few times along the way. Exactly, because if you tell your kid that you got this A plus because you're really smart, you're going to have a few problems. The next time the kid has a test, the kid is not going to work hard because the kid has associated his success with an intrinsic quality, right? Where now when there's a test, he or she will stop working hard because they think I'm a smart person. And if they were to fail in the future, they will think that now I'm no longer smart. Now I'm stupid. And once again, they will just give up hope. Yeah. On the other hand, if you give them a growth mindset where you are telling them that, hey, you got this A plus because you're hardworking, next time 
they are going to work even harder. And if they were to fail, they will realize it's because they didn't work hard enough and they will work even harder. Yes. So we want to have a very similar uh, approach to Islam. There's many of us within the community that are considered as saints, including myself, right? And that is a horrible thing to do to a person. Because elaborate a a little bit, because for a lot of people, again, when they see somebody who's a religious teacher, the automatic assumption is, oh, this person is better than me spiritually. Like they have all this knowledge, they know better. So therefore they are better. See, externally, other people might think that, right? But how the Prophet has prohibited us from praising people to their face. Because when you start believing your own hype, you start thinking that you are a good person. That is really, really problematic. Number one, it goes against the humility that we need to have with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah is the creator. And anyone who thinks that they are fulfilling Allah's rights, they are completely doomed, in my opinion. Right? Like it's like Yusuf alayhi salam, a prophet, you know, he says, nafsi. You know, I don't consider myself to be pure. Yeah. Or Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, La tuzaku anfusakum. Right? Like, don't consider yourself to be pure. And, and there's a reason for that. Because when a person starts thinking that they are good, if they were to sin, number one, they're going to do whatever they can to deny it. Yes. They'll find justifications. And then if they were to face it, they're going to have an identity crisis. Because once again, they have associated an intrinsic quality with themselves. So now that they feel like I've done this huge sin, they are more prone to lose all hope. But that goes the other way around. There are many people in the community that feel like they're bad people to the point where, you know, they might have repented once or repented twice. And now they feel like there's no longer any hope. And that is also a huge problem. Because yeah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala... There is like a, a limit. You Like three, three strikes, you're out. And how dare you mess up again? And then if you do, you just have no chance. Exactly. And... and, and that's also the wrong way of going about it. And, 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 and what's unfortunate is many people think like this and they think that that's the religious perspective. That's the Islamic perspective. And it's not, right? Like I'm a very pragmatic person. You can have any mindset that you want. You can feel like you're a bad person. That's what works for you. As long as it motivates you to become a better person. And I don't think it does. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in the Quran, Say, O servants who have oppressed themselves, who have transgressed over themselves, do not lose hope in the mercy of Allah. Allah forgives all sins. So as long as a person is alive, they have life. We all have the opportunity to come back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I don't want to be very wishy-washy. I feel like someone might be listening to this thinking I'm being wishy-washy. My intention here is to think that we are neutral people with either a lot of good deeds in our accounts or a lot of bad deeds in our accounts. Okay, so, so this, say, is a different, this is a different take for sure. Like, okay, there is that whole thing of um, don't overpraise yourself, don't think you're such a great person. But one would think then with all the emphasis on not sinning in Islam or doing better or being better, like we're, we're supposed to be trying to be good people, right? Like that is our goal. That is our, what we're striving towards. But then uh, I guess I want to say like, 
how do we say like oh we're we're neutral people with this or that like isn't when it I neutral we people or we are that like what exactly do you mean by this when i say neutral people i mean like we'll get our final score on the day of judgment but we have the potential for good and the potential for bad right okay so and it's like we're accruing a lot of debt or we're getting rewards so when you have a neutral approach to this you are not saying stuff like, oh, I don't have the ability to connect back with Allah. Allah will never forgive me. You don't say stuff like, oh, uh, you don't justify your sins when, when they happen. Because once again, you understand as a human being, you have every capacity to do horrible things. And at the same time, you have enough trust in the mercy of Allah to know that you have the capacity to do good things and, and start new chapters right? Okay. It's kind of like a person who has a lot of debt, right? Right. If they feel like, okay, look, I have a lot of debt and that motivates them to earn more money and pay that debt out. That's a good thing. Right. right. But if they just feel like they, they, they attach intrinsic values to themselves and they're like, oh, I'm just a low level person and this is just my fate. And uh, I'm just self-defeating, a self-fulfilling prophecy. Exactly. And, and that's just not going to work. And we have plenty of examples, you know, like the person who killed 99 people, et cetera, et cetera. So once again, all of us have the capacity for good and capacity for evil. And when we do good deeds, we, we need to guard them, purify our intentions, not brag about them and, and have hopes on them for the day of judgment. But the same thing with bad deeds. We need to have enough hope to be able to go beyond that. But none of us should be thinking that we're saints. And none of us should be thinking that Allah has somehow blocked me from coming closer, right? So I don't know. Let me know if it's too wishy-washy, but I feel like no, this is that a really makes good sense. approach. I, the way that you've explained it makes sense. It helps provide that counterbalance between the fire and brimstone approach and the completely fluffy, well, no matter what you do, God loves you. And you're always awesome, even when you're not. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think that's, that that balance that you've just laid out is a very important foundation to have. Because as you said, there is the wishy-washy approach and then there is the opposite extreme. And I feel like most Muslims tend to be caught between those two. Exactly. So then now that we have put in the groundwork, let's go into now some really concrete things that we can do in order to be sinners who... And once again, when I say sinners... I don't mean like sinning is something okay. I don't mean to say like sinning is something that we should aspire to do. What I mean by that is how do we become flawed human beings, understand that we're flawed human beings, and take the right steps? Like so not having to... those unhealthy expectations or standards for us that are just going to set us up for failure, basically. Exactly, because another outcome of this, and I think a lot of us do this in North America, is that we think we're such good people that we can put ourselves in bad situations and just stay away from bad. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right? We do this all the time. Yep. And, and that's because we think that we're above the evil that people around us are doing. And that's where the neutral approach will really you know, help us navigate the world is where we do not think that we're above doing bad. And we realistically take the steps to stop ourselves from doing it. So, uh, so like I said, it works both ways, and I want to really clarify that, right? Right. What are the steps that we can take? 
the first step that we can take is that we should never, ever justify our sins. You see, right in the beginning of time, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala taught us a very, very important lesson. In the beginning of creation, in the beginning of humanity, there were two beings that were super religious. You had Adam alayhi salam, super religious being, obviously, and he made a mistake. He ate from the fruit, the tree, and he made a mistake. And that shows us that everybody makes mistakes. But it's not so much the fact that he made a mistake that's highlighted. It's what he did after he made the mistake. And Adam alayhi salam, immediately, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asked him, why did you do this? He said, رَبَّنَا ظَلَمْنَا أَنفُسَنَا وَإِلَّمْ تَغْفِرْ لَنَا وَتَرْحَمْنَا لَنَكُونَنَّ مِنَ الْخَاسِرِينَ Oh Allah, we have oppressed ourselves. And if you don't forgive us, and if you don't have mercy on us, we are going to be from the losers. Uh, so there's that key bit about the acknowledgement, the recognition of what was done and that it was wrong. And then that remorse for it all bundled together. Exactly. But the fact that he made a mistake didn't remove him from being pious. Right. In contrast, you have another pious person or, or seemingly pious person, Iblis. Ah, yes. And he also makes a mistake. Mm -hmm. He doesn't prostrate to Adam alayhi salam. So in this, at this level, they're both the same. Well, similar. Sure, they've both committed a sin. Yeah, similar, similar. I mean, I'm sure, for the sake of my analogy, okay, I'm sure there's other things that we can go into. But the, the key difference is how they respond when Allah asks them, why did you do this? So Adam alayhi salam, immediately, he, take, he acknowledges he did something wrong. He repents to Allah. He is sincere. He's not justifying it. Mm -hmm. Iblis is being asked. Allah says, You know, why did you not, what, what stopped you from prostrating? And he says, he doesn't say like Adam alayhi salam, oh, I oppressed myself. I did wrong. He says, I'm better than him. Oh Allah, I am not wrong for prostrating. You're wrong, na'udhu billah, for giving me a command that doesn't make sense. Oh, and see... You create... Mm -hmm. that, that line right there, that is so relevant yeah. to so much of what we see today. So, so even though both of them sinned, one of them is remembered as one of the best people of all time, and the other is remembered as one of the worst beings of all time. And I would argue that the key difference is how they responded after they sinned rather than the fact that they sinned. Yes. Yeah. Huge difference in that the self-awareness, the cognition about the, the sin that was committed in the first place. So it's not, it's not the sin that makes you good or bad. It's how you decide to react to, to it. Exactly. And once we understand that the Prophet says everyone makes mistakes, it's like, this is the least we can do, right? Mm -hmm. So that's one thing to keep in mind, not justifying our sin. There's a, a lot of times people, you know, they're living sinful lives and the guilt is just bearing down on them. And a lot of times they feel like perhaps they can adopt a more liberal version of Islam or even leave Islam to remove the guilt. But I would implore my brothers and sisters that you rather accept that what you're doing is wrong 
ask Allah for help in leaving that wrong than telling Allah that his rules are wrong. I'm going to pick out two really unpopular but relevant examples to, to provide. And just let me know if you, you agree with this or not. So, of course, there's the whole, can somebody be gay and Muslim at the same time? And you have people who will be knee-jerk reaction, no, you can't be, right? Yeah. But even within that, you've got those who may be struggling with this issue, but they recognize that Islam prohibits it. And they're not arguing, oh, no, Islam is wrong, Allah is wrong for saying it's this is sinful. They recognize exactly. that this is an issue. Just like somebody who's, you know, a straight person committing zina, right? Like they know it's wrong. They're like, yeah, I know this is wrong. I know Islam says this is bad. And I do feel bad about it to a certain degree, but not bad enough to stop or whatever it might be, right? But there's there's still that acknowledgement that Allah has prohibited this. And then on the flip side, you have people who say, no, I think this is totally fine. I think this is right. And I think anybody who thinks it's bad, they're wrong. And that is where you have that, again, that massive division, two groups of people, and it's involving the same sin, but how, what is their approach to it? How is their reaction to a discussion as to whether this is even a sin in the first place or not? So that's the first example um, that I have for you. Would you agree that this is reflective of what you're talking about? Oh, I fully agree. I think justifying that sin is way worse than doing the sin and doing the sin itself is a huge thing. But yeah, I fully agree. And, and this is where, like I said, remembering our place with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is huge right? Mm -hmm. We are nothing in front of Allah. And the more we learn about Allah, the more we realize how insignificant we are. So this is the quality of Iblis to justify our sins. Allah is the one who decides what the rules should be. You have another example, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So the second example I was going to say was hijab, which is a huge one right now, uh, unfortunately, in the sense of, again, you have people who are like, if you don't even wear hijab, then why are you even Muslim? And I think that's a massively huge claim to make, and it's very dangerous. And then you have, you know, sisters who are trying, maybe they're not doing the best. Uh, and people will tell them like, oh, you're dressed like this, like you have your bangs showing, just take it off. Why are you even Muslim anyway? Right. And then on the flip side of that, again, there's always that other flip side. It's, well, I don't think hijab makes sense. I don't think all these rules about what hijab is supposed to be make sense. I don't think Allah wants this from me. And if he does, then I think that's unreasonable. Right. So there's that justifying of, well, I think I'm right. And I think that whatever Allah wants from me that I've been told that Allah wants from me, I think that's wrong. And I'm going to ignore it because I prize my own i don't want to say like rationale or logic because this often isn't rooted in logic or rationale it's a very emotional very personal nefsi kind of issue um but yeah you'd agree with that then too the, that example I, I fully agree with it and i think going back to our thesis in the beginning i think when a person equates sinning with just being the most horrible person that is not a mindset you can keep for a long time so your self-preservation kicks in, and that's where you want to start justifying your sin. But if you feel like you are a neutral person capable of doing good, capable of doing bad, I'm hoping that mindset is probably something you can sustain for a longer time in such a scenario, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But it's a working thesis. All right. So what would you say is, is the next step in this process then? Then the second step is like just being realistic with ourselves and which is, and the second thing I want to say is like staying away from sins. 
What I mean by that is, so like I mentioned, I'm currently pursuing a bachelor's in psychology. And one thing that they're finding is that willpower is dead. There's a really good book called Willpower by John Tierney and Roy Bowmaster. I'm sure I'm butchering their name. But I think in the Western world, a lot of times we're put in scenarios which are not really Islamic. And a lot of times we do have to count on willpower. But to the best of our ability, we should limit situations in which the only line of defense that we have left is willpower. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes a very different approach than many other religions. I'm not sure what their actual rules are, but many religions these days seem to be promoting that, you know, you can be in a relationship before marriage as long as you don't have intercourse. Right. But Allah doesn't say that. Allah says, La zina. Islam doesn't just prohibit intercourse outside of marriage. Islam prohibits so many other steps that could lead to intercourse. So all of us have to be very, very honest with ourselves. It's kind of like I, I went to a rehab in South Africa in Mahalisburg. And one of the things that they tell the, the people there is that when you leave here, don't try to go and save your friends. Interesting. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. What's the rationale behind that? Like you would think, okay, you've gone to rehab. Now you've, you've done the work. You're out of it. Aren't you ready to like go save everybody else? They're saying no, because they're saying that you have to be realistic with yourself, that if you're going to start hanging out with those people again, you are going to go back into it. Don't overestimate your own strength. Yeah. Like, for example, I was talking to a friend of mine and he is, he's an alcoholic, right? Mm -hmm. And he's been in rehab for years and may Allah give him the power to continue to stay away. But he's fallen back. And, and one time I was talking to him and he said that his goal is to come to a level where he can have one drink and not drink anymore. Do you think that's a realistic goal for an alcoholic? Probably not. Not from the very beginning. Well, it's not. Yeah. It's not a realistic goal because, I mean, obviously it's haram, number one. I'm sure people at home are freaking out. How could it be so casual about this? <laughs> no, what I'm saying is that it's an unrealistic goal for someone who is an alcoholic to want to have one drink and stop right there. All of us, I think, should treat ourselves like we're alcoholics when it comes to our sins, right? Where just like a person who's trying to leave alcohol will not leave alcohol in their house, will not go to a bar, will not go to places where there's a, uh, alcohol there. All of us should stay away from situations where we're going to be tempted to sin. Because once again, none of us are saints. None of us are psychologically and Islamically able to depend on our willpower. That makes sense. Okay, I'm going to push back a little bit on that and tell you, okay, how about, you know, there's a lot of people who are like, well, I know myself, I know myself, and I know I'm strong enough to, you know, I know other people make this mistake, but I would never, I, I just wouldn't, because I have this knowledge, or I have my personal convictions, I would never start drinking alcohol at a party, I just want to like go to a party and hang out with my friends, all right, you hear this from university students, high school students, oh, why don't you trust me? I mean, I, I've never done this before. Why would I do it now? Exactly. So see, there's three ways we can answer this. The first thing is the Islamic way, right? So the Islam's uh, approach is not this. Like we said, La zina, or even the Prophet wasallam prohibited us from sitting in the same place where alcohol is being served. That's the Islamic approach. The psychological answer is also not supporting this because 
there's a lot of research coming out that willpower is not going to help you. You're going to have to put in other defenses, right, uh, to stop you from that. And the third answer is the anecdotal answer, right? Because we all grew up with people like this. And the, the thing is, when we're making rules for ourselves, we should not make rules that we can stick to on our good days. We should also make rules that we can stick to in our bad days, right? Yeah. So the anecdotal answer is that there's many people who did say that, and then they fell, right? I still remember some of my friends, they went clubbing for the first time and they're like, hey, we're just going to go and check it out. That's it. We're not going to do anything. And now they're all drinkers and people who go to clubs. So it's like, it's, there's no logical answer you can give. It's a very emotional argument, I would say, because scientifically, Islamically, anecdotally, it doesn't add up. Right. I like how you said that you, we can't rely on willpower alone. We have to have those other defenses. And I think that's really important to highlight because perhaps in the West, I don't know about the East, but I know for sure in the West, we're kind of trained to believe that as long as we know ourselves, we are our own masters and we can or cannot do whatever it is that we tell ourselves. But as you said, humans are messier than that. Psychologically speaking, there's all these other factors that we're not even cognizant of the way that our brains work. I mean, put aside even like alcohol and stuff like that, right? Like think about kids in elementary school and peer pressure and how easily influenced, like you'd be like, oh, that's gross. If you're asked about something just randomly, like, okay, <laughs> a classic preteen example, you know, like, oh, girls and boys, like kissing a girl or kissing a boy or whatever. And kids will be like, oh my God, that's so disgusting, cooties. What happens when they start getting together in friend groups where this is actually normalized? Then it's like, oh, it's actually not that bad. Oh, it's actually pretty cute. Oh, I want to do this. And it's, it's no different for us as adults than really it is for us as kids. And I think that's what a lot of people overlook human nature is inherently human nature our brains work a particular way and unless you are like super duper trained for years to develop whatever skills of self-discipline i mean even then we're going to even then we're going to be susceptible to again our own nature depending on the context that we're in and we cannot prepare or anticipate every single situation that we will ever be put in we can't underestimate the power of our own nafs because sometimes it's just human desires will kick in no matter what the logical part of our brains tell us we're going to act on human desires human emotions and they're far more powerful than we often give ourselves credit for i, I fully agree but attaching it back to the thesis right i think a person who thinks of themselves as a good person will probably make that kind of argument but a person who thinks of themselves as a neutral person, perfectly capable of doing good, but also perfectly capable of being tempted to do bad, would stay away from this. So once again, the thesis still kicks in. Yeah, and having that very realistic perspective of who we are. Exactly. The third point that I wanted to make, and this is the one that like, I actually had this broken down to several points, and I just put it all together. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of psychological research being done to see why do people do horrible things and especially after it happened in world war ii with hitler oh yeah people were appalled at how could so many people be involved in doing such horrible things and they found a few principles that we can apply in our lives 
to stop ourselves from doing bad things. But it kind of just boils down to taking accountability. Because the more we distance ourselves from the sin, whether that's by justifying or other ways that we'll talk about in a second, Mm -hmm. the more likely we are to do it, right? So taking accountability is huge because, and I forget which book I read this in, but even if you go to like death row and you talk to murderers, Mm -hmm. none of them are actually going to think that they're, or not none of them, but very few of them are going to take responsibility for their actions. Everybody has an excuse and everyone has an explanation. And that's why I think the day of judgment is so important because in the dunya, even if you punish the evil people, they are not able to acknowledge the wrong that they have done. And to be honest, in the dunya, you and I can never measure all the factors, the environmental factors, the psychological factors to truly judge people. It's only on the day of judgment where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the latif, the one who knows every minute detail about the event, is where he will make an ultimate judgment, such a judgment that no one can make any type of uh, justification in front of. It shows you the importance of that. But yeah, so the point that I'm making as number three is to take responsibility of our sins. The more we do that, the less we will sin. And the less we do that, the more we will sin. That's a powerful connection. And I appreciate that you're connecting that from both a a spiritual perspective, as well as, again, the psychological perspective of this is just how humans' brains work. Yeah. And, And one thing, so one way that we distance ourselves from our sins is by following orders, right? It's kind of like back in the day, if your if your family was fighting with a group, you would also fight with a group. So when it comes to Hitler, it's like, how did so many soldiers kill and torture people? So for that, they have the famous Milgram experiment. Do you know about this? I do, but I want you to explain it for our listeners, please. Sure. So the Milgram experiment is when you have two volunteers come into your experiment but one of them is secretly an actor. And you draw lots to see who's going to be the teacher and who's going to be the student. Your actor ends up being the student and the person who's coming for the experiment ends up being the teacher. Okay. And you, you tell them that, okay, we're experimenting to see how does shocking someone with electricity affect the way that they learn. And the teacher is supposed to ask the student a few questions And if they get it right, nothing happens. But if they get it wrong, they're supposed to shock the student. (laughs) And they have a man in the lab coat watching them and and who's giving them the instructions. Okay, so the man in the lab coat is giving the orders. Yeah, so the idea is, will they listen to this man and shocking the student and how far will they go? Mm -hmm. So the student goes in another room and pretty much you, you can just hear the student. And in the beginning, it's going pretty good. The student's answering questions right. You're like, all right, I feel good. We're accomplishing something. And then the student starts getting questions wrong. And you give them a small shock. Oh. And they get it wrong again. And you give them a higher. So after each wrong answer, it escalates. And you have to keep escalating the shock. If the person who's shocking, the, the, the person who's coming in for the experiment, if they show some hesitation, the lab code person pretty much tells them stuff like, oh, it's really important for you to continue or they tap on their clipboard. Oh, 
A demonstration of authority. I know better than you. Just keep doing what you're doing. Exactly. Yeah, but they don't physically force the person to do this. Right. And it goes up to 450 volts. And it's at 375 where it's super dangerous. Like 450 would like kill a person. Yeah. Like way before that. Mm -hmm. Can you guess what percentage of people ended up going all the way to the end? I want to say just a lot more people than, than you would ever expect. It's 65%. Two thirds of people went all the way till the end where they would have, if this was real, the subject would be dead. And that's exactly what happens. In the last few, the subject just stops responding. Wow. But they still keep going because there is an authority figure. So mentally, you can take the responsibility off your shoulders and you can put it on someone else's shoulders. And deflect it onto somebody else. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And soldiers are trained to do this. They're trained to remove any level of individuality, any level of decision-making from themselves. They're trained to follow orders. And we tend to do the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. It's like just because something might be being propagated, even if it's un-Islamic, as the scientific or the psychological, you know, mythos of our time, we propagate it because the responsibility is not mine. It is the people who are saying it, right? Yeah. And I think a lot of the LGBTQ issues we're having might be based on this. But I, I wanted to start this off with a very concrete example of deferring responsibility. We'll go to the other one. Powerful example. It's a powerful example because a lot of people, again, we think to ourselves, if I was in that situation, I would never. But guess what? Most people in that situation actually would. Exactly. And it goes back to the neutrality of all of us. None of us are saints. In the right situation, I would do horrible things. You would do horrible things. I mean, may Allah protect us. In the verse, I don't have the Arabic in front of me, but he says, you know, except for the people that Allah has mercy on, right? There you go. And, and the counterexample of that, is that they did experiments in which they had high school seniors do tests. And some of them had mirrors in front of them, while the uh, control group didn't have mirrors in front of them. Okay. And they found that when there's a mirror in front of you, you are more likely or you're less likely to cheat than when there's no mirror in front of you. Okay, explain this. Like, why, why would that be so? Yeah, and you might be thinking, what's the connection between cheating and a mirror? It's not like other people can see you. It's because when you can see yourself, it's less, it's harder for you to defer the responsibility. You know? Because you're literally staring in your own face. Exactly. And you might have noticed, I don't know if you guys have this where you are, but where you have self-checkouts. Oh, yep. That little mirror. <laughs> yeah. Like they have like the camera and you can see yourself and... I mean, I don't know if that's the real reason, but I think it's because when you can see yourself, you're less likely to steal than when you cannot see yourself. They've done other studies where scientists or medical professionals are told to wear their lab coats and they're put in situ situations where they might cheat. But when they have their lab coats on, they are less likely to do unethical things than when they don't have their lab coats on. Because there's that internal connection of having to uphold the values of their profession. Exactly. So connecting, you know, with our own values is very important. And I, I had this point for a later point, but I'm going to say it here. That's one of the main reasons why I dress with like a turban or whatever. I know there's a lot of Muslims who have 
this whole issue with, okay, that's not a son now or whatever. But I would argue above that, for me personally, dressing with some element of Islam in ourselves is very important because there's so many sins you would stay away from that you cannot go, like you can't wear this in a club. Yes. Exactly what I say about niqab as well, because I do wear niqab. And Mashallah. a common question people will ask us is why, right? Like, why do you do this? Like, do, do you believe it's wajib or not? I don't consider it wajib, I consider it a sunnah. And of course, you know, in addition to, you know, you want to grow closer to Allah, extra active obedience, whatever, a really powerful element of just hijab in general, but niqab especially is, especially now, is that you realize to yourself that you cannot get away with the same things. Exactly. That somebody who isn't dressed the same way will. Because immediately by flagging yourself in this way, by being so visible as a Muslim, not only are you communicating to yourself like, oh, I'm a Muslim, and, you, and you, we know this, we're all Muslims, right? But you're communicating to others. And interestingly enough, even in today's secular world, even in a world where so much sin is normalized, and even Muslims, you know, committing various sins is normalized, there is still an expectation or an implicit understanding that if you are identifying so clearly as a Muslim, there are certain things that you can and cannot do. And if you do do those things, even a non-Muslim will call you out or ask you, exactly, yeah. hey, aren't you not supposed to be doing this? Which I find very, very interesting, just based off of my own experiences at work and so on and so forth, where, you know, there will be, even non-Muslims will have a concept of, hold on a second, I'm pretty sure you people don't do that. So why are you? It's just really powerful example there that a lot of people don't consider. No, it's really important. And um, I'm glad that you feel that way. So one more time, we're neutral people. And that's one defense that you can put on yourself. But because we're talking about garb, I'm, I'm going to go to this point where another way that we can defer responsibility is through roles, anonymity. Mm-hmm. It's like a lot of us, when we're online, we have our avatars and, and a lot of times we can have like anonymous accounts or whatever. And then we can lose ourselves in that role. Mm-hmm. We might think that that doesn't have a big impact on us, but it does. They found that, well, first of all, there's that huge experiment uh, what's known as the Stanford Prison Experiment. And I don't know if I should put you, put you on the spot, but I'm sure you've heard of this. But uh, Zimbardo, he's got a really good book, who's the one who com- conducted that experiment, and then he expresses his uh, sorrow over it. It's called The Lucifer Effect. And that's a really good book. Uh, and it's a main source of mine for this podcast for just why do people do bad things? But in the Stanford Prison Experiment, um, they had volunteers come in and they were uh, randomly assigned to either be prisoners or be guards. And because the guards were so lost into their rules of disciplining and being guards, within you know just a few days, it became a... They had to shut the experiment down because the guards just lost themselves in their roles. They were making people do really embarrassing things. They were putting people into solitary confinement. You know, it was abuse from the guards because they had kind of lost themselves in that role. So the fourth thing within like deferring responsibility uh, is this phenomenon known as the bystander effect. Mm -hmm. And the bystander effect, it's kind of like... Imagine someone's being abused. Do you think they're more likely to be helped in a big city, downtown Toronto, 
or in a small town somewhere. I'm a small town person, so I'm going to say you're going to be more likely to be helped in a small town. Exactly. Because if you have 100 people walking around while you're being abused or while someone's being abused, they're less likely to help because everyone is thinking that someone else is going to help. Yes. And there have been horrible incidents which showcase this. In my community when I was growing up, there was a kid who ran, and trigger warning, by the way, mm-hmm. who ran and, you know, kids were chasing him. And, uh, you know, he was screaming for help for a long time and not a single person helped him. So, so that's the bystander effect, right? Where everyone kind of feels like someone else is going to step in, someone else is going to stop them. As Muslims, we see that there's a lot of steps that we can take to reduce the evil around us. Or maybe there's a da'wah opportunity we can take but everyone feels like it's someone else's responsibility to give da'wah. It's someone else's responsibility to stop the wrong. It's someone else's responsibility to protest. But if we were to take responsibility for our privilege, our opportunities, especially as Canadians, Americans, whatever, we have a lot of power over the policies that our countries make. But because we all feel like someone else should do it, we do nothing. Yep. That's not my job. Yeah, exactly. And then if we can all just take responsibility for the position that we're in, we can change the world. That ties into just, again, like so much relevance in terms of not just our spiritual lives, but literally everyday life in the real world. It's not just like this whole conversation. I want to reiterate to listeners as well as this is not just an abstract concept. Like as you've been bringing up constantly throughout this podcast, this has real world application. This is directly connected to how we conduct ourselves with others, as well as, you know, between ourselves and Allah. And so this level of or this element of the taking responsibility and stepping up, it's really powerful because Again, we tend to think like, oh, you know, all of this is between myself and Allah. And what can I really do? But there's actually so much that we can really do. And that ties into this entire discussion about sinning and repentance. For sure. And it goes back to just being honest with ourselves, right? You rather be honest with yourselves and understand all the garbage that you and I are into than justify it away or, you know, make excuses for it or think you're a bad person and you have no hope. All these things, I think, are are self-preservation tactics that we adopt in order to not face ourselves with the things that we're doing. One last quick point is that we should stay in good company while uh, in order to stay away from evil, right? The Prophet ﷺ has been reported to say, You know, a person is on the way of their close friends. So it's a huge thing. I'm sure there's a lot of anecdotal evidence for this for all of us. Right. Is that the kind of company that we keep, you mentioned peer pressure earlier. We spoke about people who are addicted to drugs going back. It's going to have a huge impact on us, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Whether and even introducing us to certain sins or certain habits. No, for sure. Yeah. Now, the last thing. So now that we've talked about different ways that we can stay away. What is something that you and I can do right now? And that is Toba, right? Okay, elaborate. Because a lot of people will think, well, this whole, what is Toba anyways? Is it just enough to say, oh, astaghfirullah, and I feel bad in, in passing? Or is there like this long ritualistic process? Yeah, so, so Toba has four steps, okay? And you, meaning we have to feel bad about what we did. A lot of times people 
Well, let's go to the second step. The second step is to stop what we're doing. And both of these are not the same thing. Because a lot of times people get older and they stop what they've done, but they look back fondly and they're like, oh yeah, those were the good days when we used to do this and we used to do that. That's not Toba, right? Ah, oh, good point, good point. So you have to stop what we, do, what we do and we also have to feel bad about what we did. And then the third thing is we have to make a promise to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that we are not going to do this again. Now I'm going to add a few steps in that. Not only should we make a promise to Allah, but let's also, considering ourselves the neutral beings that we are, sit down and write down steps that we can adopt in order to prevent ourselves from falling back into it, right? So tying back into those practical application of accountability. Exactly. And then the fourth step for Tawbah is that if we have wronged someone, you have to either fix it or you have to apologize and get, their, get them to forgive us. So Tawbah is something that you and I can do today. Now, someone might feel like, okay, I made Tawbah last time and then I fell into it again. And I made Tawbah again and I fell into it again. As long as we're alive, I would ask all of us to continue making Tawbah. Especially because a lot of times... What happens is, let's say a person, they leave the sin and they make Tawbah once and they make Tawbah twice. But a lot of times as time passes, the, the period of their relapse can often become, like the period that they're clean can often become longer and longer and longer. But a person, it's kind of like you miss 100% of the shots that you don't take. Yeah. A person who's not even attempting is going to be accumulating a lot more sins right. on their account. Because there's no, there's no wiping clean of the slate and even trying to start again. It's just snowballing instead. Exactly. And at the end of the day, we as Muslims, we need to be honest with ourselves and honest with our creator. And a lot of times I might feel like I no longer have the strength to be able to leave this sin. I would ask myself and to ask you is for you and I to make sincere intentions, take the right steps take the right precautions, but put the burden on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. One dhikr that I will leave us all with, that I think is the dhikr for sinners like me and you. Well, not you, but the, 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 the royal... All of us, really. All of us, yeah. Which is, la hawla wa la quwwata illa billahi al There's no power to do good, and there's no power to stay away, away from evil except the one that comes from Allah. Powerful way of putting it, because a lot of people, I want to say almost ritualistic idea of, of what this line means, you know, that's an expression you throw out. But the way you have just defined it makes it so much more intense, specific, and personal. Yeah, and it has to be personal, because we are not responsible for results. We are responsible for efforts. And many of us, we feel incapable to leave the wrongs around us. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, with His infinite mercy, He has given us faith. He has given us so much. If we can be sincere with Allah, if we can constantly talk to Allah about our struggles. And that's another thing to talk to Allah about, by the way. Uh, I think a lot of us, we don't talk to Allah about our struggles. Like, hey Allah, I, I feel like doing this bad deed. Oh Allah, I, I have this 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 sin that I just can't leave in my life. A lot of people would think that's sacrilegious in and of itself. No, it's not, right? Because 
if you have the, and, and this is another thing, if a person has the desire to do evil and they don't do it, that's actually piety. Like a lot of times I have conversations with people and they're like, oh, I feel like such a bad person for wanting to do this. But that's not a sin. That's actually piety. It's kind of like courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is going forward despite being afraid. That is a powerful way to describe it. So when it comes to our connection with Allah, everyone wants to do bad things, right? Right. Everyone has enoughs. But if we have the desire to do evil, many scholars would argue that in the ayah of Surah Yusuf, Yusuf had the desire for it. And yet he refrained. And that is piety. And the people of the past would come to prophets and they would tell them that why didn't Allah send an angel as a prophet? Why did Allah send another human? Exactly. So being a human, we have to finish this journey as being humans. And being humans, we are going to want to do bad things. All of us, there are no saints in this world, right? Everyone wants to do bad things. The only saints that exist are those that despite wanting to do bad things, they take the right steps and Allah, with the help of Allah, they're able to stay away from the sin, right? Like Islam does not believe in this whole idea of, you know, like, like we live in the world and none of us are robots. I think this ties into the hadith of, you know, the, the person who is superior isn't the one who is a hermit and hides away from the people and avoids everything and avoids all temptation. It's actually the person who lives a normal life with everybody else and is exposed to the hardships of everyday life and is exposed to those temptations and is still trying to endure anyway. And, and that's a good way of like wrapping up this topic of being a sinner in terms of like, we need to be vulnerable with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We need to be honest with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But at the same time, we need to consider ourselves to be beings who can do a lot of good with the tawfiq of Allah. And we also need to be honest with ourselves and understand that we are capable of a lot of bad. Yes. No one who has done horrible things in the world thought that they were capable of it. It's just the right situation can, can mess us up. So if we can be humble with Allah and we can talk to Allah like human, our connection with Allah will grow and we will accomplish so much, inshallah. That's a really, really practical, relevant way of discussing this whole issue of sin. I, I really want to extend my appreciation for that because, again, the way that this entire discussion is so often framed is like, you're either a good Muslim or you're a bad Muslim. There's nothing in between. You To be pious, and I particularly liked that point that you made towards the end about piety isn't you don't have any of these desires. Piety is you have these desires, but you're struggling against it. And as I had said in the beginning, you know, in preparation for Ramadan, this is something that really weighs heavily in a lot of people's hearts, because I'm just committing so many sins. I don't deserve Ramadan. I'm not ready for this. Uh, how do I be pious in Ramadan when I can't be pious outside of Ramadan because I'm always sinning? And every single bit of the conversation that you provided so far, um, and particularly this definition of piety, really makes it so much easier to internalize 
being deserving of Ramadan because Ramadan is for everybody. Ramadan is for is especially for those who are sinning all the time because it's coming to purify us. Because Ramadan is coming to give us the opportunity to do better and be better in a very focused and intense way. Um, it ties into the self discipline. We aren't you know, staying away from things just out of our pure self-discipline. We're doing it because we have a sense of specific restrictions that were sent to us by Allah. And we're holding that as we should. Allah is the authority there, right? So we're following orders there, um, but in the best way, as opposed to a human way where we're just deflecting responsibility. Now we're using these divine commands as a way to channel us towards doing better and being better. For sure. And, and I wanted to just, because I know there's a lot of people who are going to go into Ramadan feeling that I, I do all these sins. Is it not hypocritical to do good things in Ramadan, for example? Yeah. But it's kind of like if we take the neutral approach to this, if a person has a lot of debt and they get the opportunity to make a lot of money so they can pay off that debt, won't they take it? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, completely. So... I don't think that's hypocrisy. I think that's exactly what a person who feels like they're sinning should be doing. They should be doing whatever they can to get as many deeds as possible, to remove the debt that they have, to repent. That's what I need to be doing. So at no way should my sin stop me from the good that I want to do. Right? It's like, and in fact, I think this is a good place to put in, in uh, al-hasanat yudhibna sayyat. Like good deeds are actually means of wiping out those sins. SubhanAllah, definitely. It's like a person who's smoking, are they also, and they're like, okay, you know what? I smoke. Let me also stop exercising. Why would you compound the issue further instead of at least taking one preventative or helpful measure? Exactly. And, and that's where I think the, the fixed mindset is really messing us up. But uh, yeah, I really enjoyed having this conversation with you. And I think every single time I've been in Muslim Matters, it's been a really nice conversation with you guys. May Allah. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. We've all benefited from your work as well. And I'm sure the readers will and listeners will definitely agree and appreciate this conversation as well. Like I said, Ramadan prep can be so overwhelming for so many people. And, and for some people, a lot of it, you know, the focus tends to be like, oh, let's prepare all the samosas because you got to have that for Ramadan, right? Yeah. But this is, this is a deeper level. This is very practical. And it is for the everyday person. It's not about having these, you know, super duper worship schedules. And, you know, you're going to sleep like two hours in the night and spend all day and all night worshiping because that's not sustainable. It's not pragmatic. And it's not about turning yourself into this perfect human we are, as you said, neutral human beings with the capacity for great good and the capacity for terrible things as well. And we're really just trying to be out here fighting our enough, drawing closer to Allah, connecting with Allah and realizing that we can become beloved sinners. For sure. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us from the evils that our nafs calls us towards. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the power to leave our sins and may Allah allow us to have a genuine, wholesome, honest, vulnerable connection with Him. Amen. Jazakallah khairan. Jazakallah khair to you, Shaykh Abdullah, for your time and your patience with our difficulties, especially. Um, it was a really a wonderful discussion. And inshallah, I really hope in the future we're able to have you back for, for similar topics as well. To the listeners, uh, stay tuned for our next episode. And of course, leave questions, comments, suggestions, and your thoughts about 
this episode and Ramadan coming up and all your challenges and how this podcast has helped you, inshallah, for the upcoming Ramadan. Jazakumullah khair. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Hey everyone, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and follow us online on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram on our handle, Muslim Matters. And check out our site daily at muslimmatters.org. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the next one, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.